is Bloomberg Surveillance. In terms of European markets, Brexit is a huge deal. And when that sort of uncertainty is removed, you would see a rally in the euro. A lot of the fluid dynamic things that has made the American economy so successful aren't working quite as well anymore. Growth is not great, but it's certainly running above potential right now. So I think the last thing this economy needs is for the Fed to cut rates. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street. It is 6 a.m. in St. Louis, where St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard has solved the mystery of the Fed's missing dots. Breaking news now from the St. Louis Fed. St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard did not submit dots, long-range dots, to the Fed dot plot because the Fed bank is changing the way it forecasts the economy. A very interesting change in Fed orthodoxy. Uh, he is switching to a regime-based outlook, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. A quick check of the markets. U.S. futures are lower. S&P futures down by four. Dow futures by 17. NASDAQ futures by four. European markets higher. The tragic murder of British MP Joe Cox has suspended campaigning on the Brexit. And at the moment, uh, that has the FTSE higher by 73 points. The pound trading higher, 142.46. The stock 600 is up by four. Here in the U.S., the 10-year note yield 1.6%, 1.1 for the five-year, the two-year. 69 basis points. The German 10-year note yield has turned just barely positive this morning. So here's where we are with the St. Louis Fed and the mystery of the dot plot and an interesting challenge to the way the Fed does business. The dot plot, of course, compiles Fed officials' views of where the funds rate will be given their individual economic forecasts. On Wednesday, the dot plot that came out showed one policymaker suggesting one rate move this year, then nothing in 2017 or 18, give no value at all for the long-run rate where the Fed funds will be when they stop raising. Turned out to be St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard, generally seen as a centrist on policy, somewhat of a rebel on orthodoxy. In a statement just out, Bullard announcing the St. Louis Fed is changing the way it forecasts the economy and therefore rates. Instead of a converging outlook where the forecast changes based on expected movements in growth, unemployment, and inflation, the bank is now using what they call a regime-based method. This assumes that current conditions will persist in a regime with components changing little, and that implies a certain Fed policy rate. If the regime changes, the outlook for rates would change, but a change in the regime isn't forecastable. So Bullard is no longer providing a rates forecast beyond the 125 basis point move he says the current regime yeah. calls for. Here's a, a quote. Of course, the situation can and will change in the future, but exactly how is difficult to predict. Therefore, the best we can do today is forecast the current right. regime will persist and set policy appropriately for this regime. We're uh, backing off the idea, he says, that we have a dogmatic certainty about where the U.S. economy exactly. is headed. Well said. Mike, this is a huge deal to me, and you go right to the right idea, which is regime. I don't want to conflate this, Mike, with the raging debate over two Americas. This is about timing and about moving along the X-axis and moving from a certain regime to the jump condition 
uh, either way of a new regime. It's not the same as discussing whether the macroeconomics of Steve Roach or James Bullard should be a one analysis of a one modal America or whether it should be bimodal or trimodal, et cetera. So I don't want to conflate this with, say, some of the debates we've heard from Alan Kruger. No, this doesn't have anything to do with current conditions beyond adapting those conditions into a forecast. But But, Steve Roach is with us, and uh, you have been looking through – this is a 10-page paper uh, from Jim Bullard. You've been looking through this, Steve, uh, as a longtime forecaster. What do you think? Well, Mike and Tom, I mean, I'm a fast reader, but, you know, it takes me more than – Yeah, we're all – it's all very strictly bargained. To to really – uh, absorb this. Um, you know, the idea, though, of discrete regime changes where you sort of cruise along for a, a you know, seemingly indefinite period of time and then, pow, you pull the switch and you jump to another uh, trajectory. Um, you know, it's possible, but I think the likelihood of that uh, is, uh, is, is low. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm clearly sensitive to the notion that we've been locked in a uh, a, a really difficult economic scenario now for the last uh, seven years, and the inertia of that scenario is hard to crack in terms of growth uh, and inflation. So, on you know, on on that point, uh, you know, sort of extrapolation in autoregressive world uh, makes uh, makes some sense. But in terms of framing the longer term outlook, uh, I'm, I'm a little less confident that this. Regime switching model it provides the you know the the, the magic uh, breakthrough to forecasting that we've all been looking for. Well, it almost seems, and and I know that you're at the disadvantage because you haven't had a chance to absorb it, and I've been struggling to get through all this with everything else I'm doing. Uh, he seems to be saying there isn't a magic bullet. There isn't a magic way to make a forecast. That uh, what we have seen is a very persistent, steady state. And under that steady state, you can make a forecast for a rate, but you don't know when that's going to change. So, so why what, would you do a dot plot that assumes a change out there? Well, you know, because you know, I'll tell you why. Uh, and that is because we know that um, monetary policy operates with a lag. So when policymakers make a change, they're making a change uh, that will affect the economy of the future, not the economy of the past. And under this particular model, uh, the, the assumption that is made is that the policy, uh, the, the economy of the past uh, persists. And that, what, what it does, I think, is it sets the Fed up to be reactive as opposed to proactive. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, if things... Uh, do, uh, for unexpected uh, reasons, change quickly, the Fed will then find itself uncomfortably behind the curve. But haven't we, at this point, to this point, seen a Fed that is totally reactive? They haven't been proactive at all. Yeah, and this would make, I think this would make them even uh, um, actually more more um, uh, reactive because, again, they would they would only move on the basis of concrete evidence of a regime change, and, and that is usually uh, based on backward-looking data as opposed to forward-looking data. But Bullard argues that's what they have been telling people they're doing, that they are data-dependent. Well, you know, it, 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 again, 
what is not clear to me, and I haven't read this um, uh, carefully enough to really render a judgment, is what is the evidence they're going to use to determine if the regime is, is, is actually shifting. And, and the other idea here, and I go to Rick Mishkin of Columbia and his wonderful textbook, which is heavily weighted towards, okay, what are you going to do with this when you apply it to policy? Is there any central bank out there that you can think of who is doing anything but working on a timeline of making linear forecasts out in terms of time and looking at the short and maybe the medium or a guesstimate of a long term? Or are we going to have a central bank which says, here is where we are, this is our regime, and then out the x-axis, we'll find a new regime at some point. I mean, that to me, essentially, what Mr. Bullard's saying is change the x-axis. Well, yeah, if he if he can make a convincing case that, say, 12 months out from now, we're moving from regime one to regime two, and here are five reasons why, and we're going to frame policy with that in mind, then I give them all the credit in the world. Uh, but it, it's not clear to me in, in the casual read of this paper that that's pretty much what they're laying out. It seems to me to be, um, you know, a, a framework that says the regime remains in place until we're convinced uh, uh, otherwise, and, and that – Transition from yeah. one regime to another is, is tricky. And critically, Mike, both of these analyses on the x-axis, the timeline folks, work from an ex-post analysis. An institution has to observe the present. Am I don't am I speaking out of turn here, Doctor Roach? I don't want you to throw a piece of chalk at me. No, I think. But they, it's an ex-post analysis under both a conventional dot plot timeline. Or a regime jump condition, condition x-axis. Look, low inflation, which is, you know, the, the dominant feature of the current regime, gives central banks the, you know, the, the, the luxury to fiddle around with, uh, contemplating one regime or another. Once inflation, or if inflation begins to, uh, bump up against this, um, you know, uh, threshold that, that makes them worry, then they don't have the luxury anymore and they have to be much more nimble uh, in uh, deciding what the operative scenario is. So I'd like to know more, and, and maybe it's in this paper, or maybe there's, you know, um, uh, further follow-up yeah. work that needs to be done about how they analyze the shift from one scenario to another. I mean, we've all well, been doing scenario analysis. Okay. Let's come back. Stephen Roach with us at Yale University and Mike McKee with Jim Bullard's uh, new paper on regime change this morning. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Mike Kisco Volvo. Visit MontCiscoVolvo.com. Here's Michael Barr with the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Tributes continue to come in for a British lawmaker who was shot and stabbed to death yesterday ahead of next week's Brexit referendum. Labor lawmaker Joe Cox, who was 41, was a strong advocate of Britain remaining in the EU. Campaigning on both sides of the Brexit issue have been suspended for a second day today. Bernie Sanders says he will work with Hillary Clinton to defeat Donald Trump at the fall presidential election. Sanders spoke during a live stream address from his home in Vermont last night. Analysis has begun of the only so-called black box recovered thus far from an Egypt airplane that crashed in the Mediterranean Sea last month. 
killing all 66 people on board. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael, thanks so much. Oil uh, with a bid today, 47 uh, even on West Texas. Brent crude, 48. 28. Goldman Sachs calling for uh, lower oil prices overnight. Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by your Tri-State BMW Centers. Visit them online at tristatebmw.com. At BMW, they only make one thing, the ultimate driving machine. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And good morning. Uh, This Bloomberg Business Flash being brought to you by Brooks Brothers Big Event. Their semi-annual sale going on now through June 28th. Shop early for the best selection. Visit BrooksBrothers.com to shop the entire collection or find the location closest to you. With uh, risk on sentiment in the overseas markets, but that's not translating to much here in the U.S. Uh, S&P futures right now, they are down four points, down two tenths. Uh, Dow E-mini futures down 36. And the Nasdaq futures right now eight points lower. The S&P 500 actually headed for its biggest weekly decline uh, since April. Among the most actively traded shares in the pre-market, we have shares of Apple. Uh, they are down about half a percent, 97.04%. Apple violated the design patents of a Chinese device maker. They may have to halt sales of their latest iPhones in Beijing. This is according to the city's intellectual property authority, uh, handing the U.S. company its latest setback in a a pivotal market. And we check the markets for you every 15 minutes uh, during the trading day right here on Bloomberg Radio. And back to uh, Michael and Tom. Good morning. Good morning, John Tucker. Uh, Great to hear from you. Uh, Bloomberg Surveillance. Of course, we're brought by Invesco. Looking for investment views. Invesco's high-conviction portfolio managers just a click away. Go to Invesco.com slash U.S. to subscribe to the Invesco blog and follow at Invesco U.S. on Twitter at I-N-V-E-S-C-O at Invesco U.S. Do that out on Twitter. Stephen Roach with me. And a great fortune to have Steve Roach here as Jim Bullard releases a very important, thought-provoking paper. And, Steve, you and I uh, touched on this an hour and a half ago. Here's the key sentence. They've got a benchmark out of number of years out that they're trying to get to. This is Bullard. Quote, if the committee moved at a pace of 25 basis points per year, it would take 14 years to reach their terminal value. And the idea here is a protest against measured. Let's back up. Did measured work? It hasn't yet, Tom. And, um, you know, I think if, to me, you know, that's the lesson of the pre-crisis period where the the Fed, if you might remember, started um, with a 1% federal funds rate after the equity bubble burst. And in these measured um Moves of 25 basis points yeah. a shot. I think there were 17 or 18 of them. Yeah. Uh, they finally got the, the funds rate uh, up to five and a half percent. But then during that period of measured normalization, the biggest bubbles and distortions in U.S. economic history built up. And when the bubbles burst, uh, they, they, they brought the unbalanced U.S. economy closer to the abyss than ever. So, 
if if that's what's at, you know at, at stake here and what um, Bullard and his colleagues are offering, that the Fed would be uh, less, inclined less inclined to be more aggressive in shifting policy immediately to quote uh, a new regime, then I would be in favor of that. What's missing for me, and again, in a very casual read of mm-hmm. this paper, is, to, is is an understanding of what they're thinking about and how to determine in going from regime to regime. I, I totally agree with that. And, and, and to use the languages of rules and discretion, even with a regime change where we're maybe going back to an Arthur Burns central banking of a little more abruptness, the basic idea here is you still have to have rules to affect the end of a given regime as you guess out to the new regime. You got to have rules. Well, you, you, I think the most important thing, though, is you have to have discipline. Uh, you, could, you could call that rules um, to to really stick with um, uh, a strong view, ir- irrespective of the political blowback that comes uh, when you are making um, seemingly unpopular adjustments. Uh, Volcker, if we look back on history. Is, is is really unique in 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 his willingness to take on uh, the politically correct right. uh, response to, to central mm-hmm. banking. Others have just been very reluctant to um, uh, to buck the tide. But he did it within a time of of excesses, a time of excess inflation, a time of excess money illusion, and. <clears throat> Titanic nominal GDP. But there were howls of protest. I was yes. working at the yes. Fed then. The Fed was encircled and blockaded by farmers who had driven their yeah. fancy tractors in from the Midwest. Congress wanted his scalp, even though he didn't have much hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was hugely unpopular in many right. quarters, but yet he knew there was an interest rate that would uh, be required, much higher than anybody thought, right. himself included, and to squeeze in, inflation out of the system. And today, Janet Yellen would be encircled by howls of uh, the affluent in their Mercedes-Benz, right? Well, it's... You know, independent central banking is very important. You need leaders at a central bank who are willing to take on um, uh, the body politic. Mike, further thoughts from you as you break worldwide this story of James Bullard with an important uh, new paper. Mike, what do you see within this? We mentioned the idea it takes 14 years to get a measured path up to uh, wherever they're heading, which is <laughs> depends, depends uh, in, in Jim Bullard's words on whether the regime changes or not. One of the interesting thing he ra- uh, questions he raises, uh, Steve, is, is as a risk to his uh, regime forecast, inflation. He is betting that the Phillips curve relationship has broken down and that if it comes back, that can obviously uh, change things. Leaving aside whether it works for Jim Bullard or not, does the Phillips curve still work for Steve Roach? uh, Bullard notes that we've got 4.7% unemployment and no inflation. Yeah, the question is whether or not the 4.7% really accurately gauges the supply-demand balance uh, in the labor market. Um, you know, I, I do think that that's a um, important question, Mike. In that um, uh, inflation remains quiescent around the world, and yet in, in, uh, central banks around the world are absolutely convinced that the single most important thing they need to do uh, is inflation targeting. Uh, what this paper I did pick up a, 
you know, one phrase in this paper. It says this approach presented here has little to say about asset price bubble risk. Mm -hmm. And that's the flip side of uh, what happens when you have easy money Mm -hmm. and inflationless world. And so this is a big um, uh, issue that needs to be addressed. Steve Roach, thank you so much. We are out of time with Dr. Roach of Yale University. Futures turn red negative five. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Anshin Block and Anshin, named the best accounting firm in North America for the sixth year in a row by Hedgeweek.com. 